Here's another episode of Battles with Bits of Rubber with Stuart and Todd. Well, today, um, the subjects I think I wanted to talk to, I found these pieces that Adrian had sent me ages ago. Yeah, the pictures uh, look great. Yeah, they look very cool. So basically, I'll just, I'll, I'll briefly, the, the, the basically, it's a foam latex. It's not an appliance. It's from the appliance mold. But basically, when I was at college, I made this Odo makeup from Star Trek uh, that my mate wanted to do because he was a costume guy. So he made the costume and it was a really cool okay. costume. And I just did the makeup. And, uh, but it, I didn't really know that much about prosthetics. I had a rough idea of how to do it, but I had to go. Um, it's a pretty good anyway, Odo so likeness. It wasn't too bad, but um, yeah, actually, but yeah, I'll, I'll, if you watch Deep Space Nine, Odo's look went through some changes the first first couple of seasons. Well, I think it changed from um, sort of a more complex makeup to a mask, didn't it? Towards the end, I think maybe it had been a lot of applications, and the guy was sick of it. I don't yeah, know. It was but, pretty pretty um, featureless face. Yeah, it's an interesting look. It's it's really nice and quite a difficult one to do as an early makeup because there's nowhere to hide. There's no wrinkles. There's no folds, you know, completely smooth. Um, no. There's a few wrinkles on the forehead, but they're very subtle. Uh, but, you know, with all that, with a wig and everything and the fact that Michael Westmore was behind it also, <laughs> he did a much better job than I did when I was 20. Can't and, go and wrong. Crap, so, you know. Uh, but, yeah, so I, I, I stuck this piece on. Anyway, um, Adrian and this guy that I applied it to, uh, his his friend was Adrian, who I had, hadn't known, and that's how I met Adrian was through this other guy because we all went to LA together to sort of have a look and scope out the area and see if it was viable that we could go work there or something. You know, after we left college, this would be ninety five. So, oh yeah, I remember Adrian you telling me that. about that. Yeah, yeah, it was good fun. But uh, yeah, so this makeup is um, anyway. He he had kept the piece the uh, and had a bunch of these photos uh, and this was nearly 30 years ago this was done so he sent me this crispy bit of foam latex <laughs> and i took pictures and it just kind of it was weird i just wanted to talk a little bit about like when you have something from the past that you made that you can examine and it's weird how you kind of look at it with your old eyes because you can remember how you felt when you did it but then you look at it now and you kind of go, well, I wouldn't have done ages like that. Well, clearly I did because <laughs> well, it's, the, it's the same with stuff that I did just a few years ago. You know, it's the hope is that we're always going to be improving and mm. not hit a plateau. You know, it's mm -hmm. when you stop trying, what's the point? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it made me think, you know, that's the thing. It's like wherever you're at, at any given point if you're pursuing it and you're you're making mistakes and you're doing things you'll move on from that and you know you'll advance and it's an unusual feeling and it, it's odd because you do that and you sometimes look at pictures but when you actually have a piece that you made that's what i quite like about this sort of practical stuff is you do have physical artifacts that you can kind of retain you know and holding mm -hmm. a hanger wow i actually cast this piece you know this came out of the mold um and it was it's kind of interesting that when you're when you're first starting out the perception of your work when you're a dumbass and don't know anything is that that's pretty good. <laughs> and, and then, and then as you, as you learn more and you improve your, your satisfaction with your work drops lower and lower and lower until the point that you're like, God, I, I, I just need to go be a greeter at Walmart because <laughs> I have no talent whatsoever for, for this makeup shit. 
we don't have greeters here in the store so i'm curious about this reference that you make is it is it is it really such a such i don't know a, if they uh, i don't know if they still do what they used to um where you know it was a, a retiree who was just there volunteer basically making sure that that the 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 carts in the entrance way are not blocking people's pathways and stuff. And they say, hi, welcome to Walmart. Uh, can I direct you somewhere? Um, just something for these, these old farts to do. Keep them out of, <laughs> keep them out of trouble. Sounds like a fun job, actually. I think I could do. <laughs> it's if I it's something I think I'm ideally bills. suited for. <clears throat> yeah. Can I wear headphones when I do it? <laughs> so I can listen to, to podcasts. Um, yeah. So, Bust a move. Uh, yeah. So it was, it was a curious thing. That I, 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 I've written a little piece about this and I'll put this as in part of the show notes with the pictures so you can see what I'm talking about because I have some nice pictures of, of the processes. Um, but it's just weird. And how you're a cute of, little, little college baby face. <laughs> I've still got like nothing like any beard stubble and these big round glasses, which maybe look like a terrified owl thinks it can smell gas. Quite a strange look. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's weird. I remember, you know, that you you remember when you hold this thing that you knew then, uh, you, you remember what you knew then. And then you think about how it should be done now because you look at it and go, well, if I was doing this now, I would never have done that. So it's kind of a weird place where you kind of, you have both both of those memories in your head at the same time. You remember how you felt at the time and you remember how you would feel now if this was your job because you're looking at it as if somebody else did it. But it Do was, you remember what you're doing in the past. Do you remember what your grade on the project was? No, I can't remember because it was an overall project for the degree, which I got a two-one um, for my degree. Uh, I take it but, that's very good. Uh, it's all right. It's it's like you know, it's not a first, but I, to me, I didn't think I was ever getting a first, but um, I was happy with the two-one. So your grading system sounds quite different than it is over. I here. think it might be different now. I don't know. It's been a while since all oh, this was a long time ago. So, but yeah, but it was it was fun to look at. But I, it made me realize that you know. That a great deal of energy I've noticed in some colleges I teach, a lot of energy can be spent trying to avoid error. You know, people ask about tips or they'll say, how do right. I do this? How do I do that? And it's quite reasonable, I think, to try and avoid avoidable errors. But at the same time, if you avoid one area, you're going to be subject to the circumstances where another one will be hit. You, you just roll the dice again tomorrow. So, yeah, you know, it's interesting. Well, I think it's something that's difficult for all beginners to kind of make sense of because I think it's almost like, you know, leaning into a punch, you, when you're first figuring it out, you know, you don't think that making mistakes is a good thing. Mm. You want to try to do things as, as perfectly as possible when you're first starting out. And as you progress, you realize that if you don't fuck things up, you don't learn anything. Yeah. I mean, the thing is you absolutely um, don't sort of you welcome any mistake when they go wrong you're not happy about it at all no <laughs> it's never no. a good thing but at the same time it's only afterwards you realize how valuable those lessons were and i can remember distinct things that i did badly or things that went awry which at the time i remember being very frustrated but they were also incredibly formative experiences you know unless you're standing around a, a pile of ashes and thousands of dead bodies that's not great but but m most of the things I, i've done haven't ended like that it's just you know oh shit i gotta do this again and, and you know yeah, well, if, you, if you go through uh the whole process and never make mistakes it, it either means either you're not trying very hard to begin with or at some point down the road there's going to be a catastrophic screw up that you won't know how to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting one. And I think this might loop back to one of the other questions we're going to get 
to next um, about with regards to that, because I think that's that's a really good point, um, because I think you need to build up slowly. I mean, this was quite a small makeup, really. It was just, you know, a small face piece and it wasn't that extensive. But but um, you do see a lot of people sort of trying to run before they walk. They're trying to do something very extensive. And, mm-hmm. and it's it's not that it's a bad thing to do that, but it's just if you fail, and I think you've mentioned this before, you know, if you flunk out on something really big, that's expensive, that's taking you a long time, that might scare you off from trying again. Whereas if you right. did something small, it might screw up, but it's not going to cost you so much money and you won't take that much time to kind of recover from it. And, and Well, it's a fine again. line we have to walk as teachers in that regard, because if we, you know, step on that, that big moment that, you know, you're, you, there's no way you, you can't do that. Hmm you 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 know you're throwing water on their fire um, yeah but if you just let them go i said why didn't you stop me you knew it was gonna fail <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah there is that um so yeah i mean looking at these pieces as well i mean i, I i'll go over the technical stuff of this sculpt looking at where this go i sculpted it in, a, in plastiline so mm-hmm. I had plastiline then, and looking at the color of it, I can see this is the Herbin stuff, which we have over here, which comes from France. Um, uh, and I have got one picture where there's a slice along the side of the mouth where it looks like I was thinking about making the chin and the upper face separate pieces. But I know at that time, I wouldn't have known how to do, you know, floating off and separating mm-hmm. pieces onto different cores. But um, obviously I'd played with the idea of that. Um, and I remember making my molds in Cristocal, which is a plaster we have here, which is not as good as your Ultracal, you know, which right. is far superior. So certainly a lot more stable when it comes to being baked in, in, in the foam oven. Uh, I made one in Café D as well. The ears are in Café D, which is like a yellow dental stone. Um, but yeah, they, it was it was good fun to do. And it's a tricky one, but I've got some pictures anyway on the thing. So you can have a look at that and you can see what I mean. But I remember looking at it thinking at the time, yeah, this is good fun. But it's awful. It's lit badly. I've, I've taken some pictures with flash. The backdrop's dodgy. The whole thing just kind of sucks. But at the same time, you can I see the edge around the face. Totally, you can. <laughs> it's like <laughs> San Andreas fault. What were you, what were you thinking? Outside. Um, but it's interesting because the thing is, like I say, you know, whenever anything goes awry, it's because there's something you should have done you didn't do, or you did something you shouldn't have done. And I can see exactly what I should have done. Um, but it's clearly Odo, and it's, it's it's not a it's not a bad likeness. No, it isn't. But it's it, thank you. I mean, that's that's you know that, it, and I think Lee's costume, he made the costume for it and everything that worked to treat, and you know it it was good fun. But it's just when I look at those things, I you know I see it like some of the pictures I get sent when people have advice. And the first thing I do is I see the things that are wrong with it. And I, in a way I'm, I'm pleased because I can point to what they are and I can see this to my, my, you know, my old self where I've gone wrong. And it's, it's, it's good to see because it's like, look, you know, everyone makes these mistakes because they're not, they're not, they're not easy things to do. It's not obvious because if it was, everyone would be doing it. Right. You know, it's, there's no value in something that everyone can do easily, you know? Um, and it's, it's a, it's, it's a good, it's a good attempt. I mean, you were just brand new at this stuff. Um, but you probably would have get got sent home from face off. <laughs> probably. But uh, yeah, I took some pictures of the crusty foam on the back. It's really interesting how you have this. That's yeah, a nice piece. texture. It's too bad. You can't actually make a mold of that. Yeah. Because, well, if I had a scanner because, that could scan. Oh, like yeah. Scanner, scanner, yeah. scanner could. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. You know, you think what the scanner is going to be like in 10 years, how good that would be, you know, it'll be on the yeah. iPhone. You could just, well, I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I've been, uh, 
Um, well, I've been talking with Rod Maxwell. You know, he's involved with with a lot of the 3D stuff, and um, I I have now NDA'd into into something that he's working with that maybe at some point we'll we'll be able to talk about on the on the on the podcast. Nice. But I'm keeping my fingers crossed that um, I may get my hands on an Artex scanner to oh, play cool. with for the book. Excellent so stuff. I'm, so I'm hoping to find out here in the very near future um, about that. But Excellent. I already have, I already have a Revo point pop two scanner, mm -hmm. which I purchased uh, a few months ago. And I'm really enjoying that. It's excellent. Getting, I'm getting very good results with it. Um, I think that's the thing, isn't it? Even if you've got like a basic scanner, it's still how you use it. And so I think if you become practiced with it, you can actually do a decent job. Yeah. Um, and there's a, there's a, you know, there's a few different scanners for different things. Some are for very small things, some are for big things. Mm -hmm. And, and even, even the, doing. even the Revopop has, uh, has settings for close up and far away for doing things. Like if you wanted to scan a motorcycle, there are settings that you can change in the scanner to, to do bigger, far away things. Excellent. Or you, or you can get right up close and do somebody's face or you can do a full body and it's, it's pretty, I'm still figuring it all out, uh, but I'm having fun doing it. That's pretty versatile though for that price point as well. That's quite nice. Yeah. Though. And, yeah, and uh, the, the level of detail is easily uh, doable for, for life casting, Excellent. for, for facial and, and body part scanning to, to sculpt on. Excellent stuff. Yeah. It's interesting that, that level of detail, because depending on how you come at it, I had this discussion, we had a bit, uh, a chat on this film I was on, which I left recently. I had to leave because of COVID. <laughs> it finally got me after two and a half years. So I was off work for a couple of weeks, but that pretty much took me to the end of my, my job anyway. So, so that's done and dusted, but I'm over that thankfully. But, um, but yeah, we were talking about how, you know, it, it's interesting how some people really like all the super fine detail on the thing they're sculpting and others, quite like it to be a bit smoother because it releases you know the pieces release from the mold easier um you know and and the sculpted texture as long as the sculpted texture is correct then the piece should blend in but mm -hmm. it depends some you know some people really like to see the sculpture on the live cast so that they or the scan so that they can actually sculpt up to that texture right and it depends on the sculpture of the piece i suppose if you've got something that's covering the whole head in rubber there's no real skin to, to, to compare it to. So actually well, if you're not like, getting you know, that skin texture in the, from the scan, you know, if when you bring in a disease brush to, or whatever software you're cleaning it up in, you know, you can always put a little texture into it. So you've got that when you print. And I suppose it's just, <clears throat> it's just whether or not it's, it's the same as, you know, capturing reality, but like something like I remember seeing, um, I had nothing to do with the making of it, but I did some application days on red dwarf a few years back. And they had the new, you know, version of the Crichton makeup. I think Millennium mm -hmm. had done for um, on Robert Llewellyn, um, you know, who plays Crichton. And he had had he had been scanned, and so the piece fitted him beautifully because there was no, you know, weight, and and some of the areas, especially around the eyes, are quite thin. So it's really nice to see that even a low resolution scanner, which may not be as high a resolution, you know, print. But the point is the forms are correct. Everything's right. in the right place. And it is their head. It's not their head with shit on it. So you haven't got any of this distortion and sagging, which is more of an issue 
you know, as you get older, because the skin elasticity is loose, you know, looser. And so it kind of, you know, kind of drags a little. Um, and no, I, was, I was literally just, just writing about that uh, in, in my book revision for the, for the fourth edition, Excellent. talking about <laughs> one of the benefits of, of scanning as you get older, because the collagen starts to break down and your skin gets looser and it, it will droop yeah. on its own. And since it's just a little, a little softer, and this can even lead into the conversation we want to have about deadener, that the softer your skin is, the more it's going to be affected by the weight of a life gassing material, whether it's alginate or silicone. Mm -hmm. And you may get a really beautiful life cast out of it, but it's not going to be the same as if you did it in zero gravity, which essentially is what you're doing with a scanner, even though there's, there is the force of gravity. You're just not, you're not adding to it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's interesting that you, you, you know, you, you, we have coped with it for years, but that's the point we've coped with it. I mean, we, we, we coped with, with not having penicillin you know, for generations, yeah. but now that we know that shit, let's not throw that away. <laughs> you know, change, kind of, is, change is essential for growth. Yeah. So it's, it's difficult and it's difficult as well. I think trying to accommodate things because I, I notice I saw a few posts about, um, you know, comedians and stuff that, oh, you know, there was something about John Cleese had said a bunch of stuff that, and, 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 you know, older people were saying like, yeah, but it was interesting to see some people saying, look, just because you don't like that doesn't mean that it's bad. It's just that you're doing that thing that older people do where they find stuff that's not aimed at them and then choose to dislike it. And it's a really good point. You can kind of catch yourself sort of, just uh, out, out of um, out of habit, sort of rejecting stuff wholesale because it's new. And I know there was a big, big chunk of that with the whole CG practical debate for years. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is that a lot of digital stuff has crept into practical applications, even something as basic as digital photography, you know, with the, the convenience of being able to take your phone and take a photo and upload it to Dropbox and work on it later in Photoshop is so functional that it's now impossible to imagine that you would, not have that available so you know it doesn't take that much to creep into other things so it's it starts becoming part of your own you know vocabulary um it's not that weird and i think it's you know there are some some things that uh you know that, that they're, they're ridiculous to kind of reject because they're so utterly they have such utility and they're becoming more that the, the entry level and the, the the ease of which they can be utilized is is huge and they don't replace they do replace some things but they don't replace you utilizing and using it like you know you can have um you know a drawing app like procreate but people who draw well and who are creative will still do a better job with that amazing software than someone that's just gonna throw a bunch of templates together it'll look very samey do you know what i mean you can sure see well, it's the still it's still just a tool you know it's it's the operator not the software mm -hmm. true enough the software can make a a really good artist do amazing things but you know it can also show off the the glaring flaws of, of a shitty artist who doesn't know how to do it, do, do anything. Well, it's the same with, you know, um, texturing and, you know, with sculpts and stuff, you can see when someone's just throwing a texture stamp or something, or they've, they've got a technique for doing a particular texture and then they'll just do that everywhere because they know how to do it. And it's like, it's, it's a nice texture, but it's not mm -hmm. actually right, you know, because it's overplayed. Um, it's like using a highlighter pen on every single word of a page. It's like it ceases to function as a highlight now because, it's all the same. It doesn't doesn't mean anything. So um, it's it's employing these devices in the right way. That is the the creative aspect of it, I suppose. 
Um, so we had a couple of questions that were good questions that we, we backed and forth on, on answers that I thought would be good to discuss. Um, one of which was about deadener percentages. Uh, so one email was from Bethany and she asked about um, having struggled with deciding how, how soft to make silicon pieces in areas of the body. Uh, she's making a cheek piece and it needs to be as realistic as possible, but you never know how to judge how much dead nut is needed to make these flesh areas move around properly. So previously, if I make them too hard, they don't move, you know, they're too stiff. Yep. Um, but when I make them too soft, it wrinkles and sags and does weird things. Um, so how soft would you make this very thin cheek prosthetic? And in general, is there any advice on how to judge how much dead nut you need for certain things? Question um, any number one. Be, yeah, would be much appreciated. Yeah. Thank you again for all the knowledge you guys share. The podcast has saved me many times already. More Thanks, Bethany. Bethany. Cool. I'm glad. Hey. Love hearing that. Um, Question number so, one is how old is how old is the character that's going to be wearing this prosthetic? Yeah, because a twenty a twenty year old's cheek is going to be firmer than a seventy five year old's cheek. Yes, and I've also noticed that the thickness of the piece can make a big difference too. Because oh yeah, uh, it's a very good. We had a good chat. A while ago, I think it was an IMATS with Floris Schuler, and he was saying something about, and it was really good because I've made this mistake many times where you would sculpt something, the thickness you think it needs to be. And then when the makeup's on, it kind of sags and pulls mm -hmm. down and the face looks bigger. So you almost need to know that's going to happen and you compensate by sort of reducing the sculpt a bit. Kind of like when you sculpt pieces for Bondos, you sculpt them a little bit thicker because you know the Bondo is going to shrink once the water evaporates out so yeah. when i say bondo i mean um prose transfers if, yeah. if that's not a word you use for that. i know the, i think the i think a good them. rule of thumb is sculpt the piece as thin as possible that's still going to allow you to put the detail into it that it needs to convey whatever age or skin condition you're sculpting yeah. Um, and also with regards to how much deadener, it, it depends on the deadener you're using and the silicon you're using as well. Because obviously mm -hmm. if you're using gel 10, Platzil gel 10, um, you would use, uh, typically you used to use the Smith theatrical deadener. That's what it came out with at the time. But now you also have deadener LV, which is a lower viscosity deadener. It's much runnier and it's also much potent and you need like half as much of that because it's, it's really strong. So if you're using gel 10 with Smith's deadener, I tend to use between 150 and 200% of that, of deadener. So if you've got 10 grams of A and 10 grams of B, that's a total of 20 grams. I would have 40 grams of theatrical deadener up to that to make the piece quite squishy. It depends where it is. Mm -hmm. It's a squishy neck. You need that to be really, really squishy. If it's a long yeah. pointy nose or long pointy ears, you don't want them flopping around like a billy ball in the sock. So, you know, probably wouldn't need any deadener is. at all for that. No, exactly. You could make them quite stiff. Um, in fact, some ears would be great because you could swill the ears with pure deadener, uh, pure undeadened silicon, and then maybe make top it up with, with deadened silicon. But um, ears don't move much. So, yeah, maybe you're right. Don't even bother with deadener at all for ears. In fact, it's really frustrating when people give you really soft, soft ear pieces and they're hard to handle. And when they're on, the ears don't move. So why are they that soft? <laughs> right. Uh, they could just be solid, you know, silicon. Um, <clears throat> so somebody in the in the shop just showing off. <laughs> but uh, I think I think yeah. So if you're using L, uh, uh, like gel twenty five, maybe a hundred percent deadener would be fine. And I think we should probably just clarify a little bit about what we mean by percent. I mean, it should be. 
I think it's pretty standard procedure that you 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 deal with the like the, the silicon is is part a and part b mixed together mm-hmm. it's like a sandwich is two pieces of bread if you haven't got the two pieces of bread it ain't a sandwich so you need the a and the b for it to be the silicon so the a and the b is the silicon so the percentage of deadener when we say like 100 percent or 150 percent, it's that amount so yeah if you've got 10 grams of a 10 grams of b that's a total of 20 grams so 100 percent deadener would be 20 grams of deadener Right. So uh, Smooth on has a has a deadener they call slacker, mm-hmm. and they they do it all all you know like one part A to one part B, one part slacker gives yep. you a tacky silicone. If you do one part A, one part B, and two parts slacker, you get very tacky. So that mm-hmm. that would be you know the first one 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 to one to one is a hundred percent. One to one to two is 200%. Uh, one to one to three, you get a really tacky gel-like. That's, I would that's, say that one to one to one is 50%. Yes, you're right. You're, you're, yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, and then one part, one part A, one part B, and four parts slacker, that would be your 200% um, yeah. is super, super, super gooey, like, and it, like gooey. And it's going to be really droopy. You know, yeah, and you're hardly, if, yeah, that's maybe okay under a neck, but you probably wouldn't want to go that high for anything no. else. Well, the trouble is when you make a piece, depends on how big the piece is, but when the piece is that soft, good luck trying to hold on to it. We are trying to apply it because it just kind of sags under its own weight. Yeah. Um, and I've seen the first person I ever saw do this, I think it was at Neil Gorton's, and I'm, I'm guessing Neil was behind that, but he, for very big wraparound pieces, he would put pieces of, of wig lace mm-hmm. on the core you know, from sort of the temple down to the jaw so that it would stop it sagging. It still had the softness everywhere else. So it would still move, but it didn't drag. So you could hold it here. The same and you, same you know, thing on the top for pieces to go on the top of the head. Yes. Yeah. It's something to hold it together. So it, that that's a good thing to do. And I've done, I've done something recently. I sent some pieces out for a show uh, for some reshoots for some things I did. Um, and uh, it was a bald paint piece that goes over the hair and needs to be pinned into the hair at the back. So I set um, silk on the core on the back two thirds. So the front third is just pure silicon. The back two thirds has uh, like silk muslin laid into the, on the core first. So mm-hmm. you can't see it, but it just means you can pin through it and pull it tight. That's why you silk because there's no stretch at all. And it's really, really super thin. So you can pin through it and, you know, put big clips and stuff on it uh, and, and hold it tight on the head. So, you know, it depends, like you say, it depends where at the top of the head, there's no movement really. So that can be quite firm. I think I made that about 50%, but yeah, know, everything else is much Because they really so. have nothing but connective tissue on the top of the head. There's no muscle. Must, the frontalis muscle stops at your hairline. Yes. And then, and it does you know, sometimes look like real bull people wearing a bull cap, doesn't it? Because there's yeah. that kind of, yeah. that, like you say, that hard line where it kind of stops. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, so in, in short, I guess it depends on the silicon, the deadener, but if it's gel 10 and, and theatrical deadener, I would say a hundred percent is a decent amount thereabouts. Right. And for, sorry, 150 to 200% for gel 10. If you're using theatrical deadener, if you're using gel 25 with LV deadener, I tend to go about a hundred percent as a general rule of thumb. But I think honestly, the only way you can be sure is to run a piece, try it and see. And it is definitely going to depend on the silicone you use because um, you're talking about the Polytech Gel 10, yes. Gel 25, Smooth On, uh, their FX, uh, their Dragon Skin FX Pro 
would be the complement to to gel 10. But then they've got Ecoflex, double lot 30, double lot 20, double lot 10. And the it's double O stuff. is getting really, really soft on its own. Right, right, right. So, you know, you, there's some stuff. They've even got um, some new stuff now. They've got a gel and uh, a gel two, they call it, that basically is off the, the shore A and shore, hardness scale. It's, it's triple aught. 34 and 30 triple out 35 right which is without adding any dead dirt on its own it's all you got to do is encapsulate that stuff and it's pretty good go. it's pretty, pretty good to begin with see that's an interesting one because there's that struggle with depending depending on who's doing this stuff some people like a chef they want to be able to fuck with the recipe so they don't appreciate these decisions being made in the manufacturing Right. But a lot of people just want something soft and they don't want to have to figure out. I know when we talk about percentages, half the people listening to this are soiling themselves because they hate maths. So, and that's yeah. fine. Well, if, if you've got a silicone <laughs> that's already already the gel consistency you need for prosthetics, that's a huge time saver because you don't, have to yeah. mix, you don't have to mix anything up. All you have to do is spray your encapsulate in the mold and mix the silicone and you're good to go <clears throat> but yeah but it is very much the case i think you do need to to uh i mean you're right i mean when i'm saying my recommendations i'm basing on what i know which is the polytech stuff i'm mm -hmm. not familiar with the smooth on stuff at all although i've noticed a lot of people that find they don't find their cat plastic stick into the silicon it's smooth on silicon that they're using i've never had that problem with polytech the same <laughs> it's weird because it's pretty much the same formula is it yeah well polytech Polytech started from it was, it was smooth on guys that started Polytech, right? But there's something about the Polytech stuff I have where it kind of leaches more as well. But it could just be that they've managed to modify the formula just enough so it's not the same that they can't be sued. I don't know, but yeah, but um, yeah, it's it's I am familiar more with the Polytech, so I must obviously, in order to be fair there may be like you say uh, uh, an equivalent to smooth them but i don't know what that is oh, you know, everybody's everybody's got their favorites you know but, I, um, I, te I tend to use more smooth on stuff just because there's a smooth on store 10 minutes from me yeah oh, oh i mean the, the if the i need something stuff I, is lovely. If, I, if i need something i can i can get it immediately yeah their epoxy is is first rate i mean the uh, the epoxy coat the gel coat is just that is the best gel coat. I mean, even if I use other paste sometimes, I will always use that gel coat because I think it's a good gel coat. But um, <clears throat> but the uh, but with with regards to the the percentage, I think the other thing you could you could try is to get like really really thin um, uh, Ziploc bags, like little you know four by three little Ziploc baggies, and mix up five or six small samples with different percentages of slacker or denna and pull them into those bags and seal them up and let them go off so that you can squeeze them without getting, you know, crap all over them and you can mm -hmm. feel how soft they are. That's a great idea. So you don't commit to, you know, your mold to find out the hard way, but ultimately. And then take you... a Sharpie and write on it so you can put that sample up on. On the wall. Yeah. On, on, a, on a wall and you've got something to refer to always. That's because it's idea. interesting that you can't, it, there must be devices that do it, but typically we don't have anything like this, but how you measure the squishiness of skin, it, it, it's kind of an art, isn't it? Like when you're handling the face with the life casting or you do a test makeup, you get to feel how soft the skin is. And then you've got I'd to make that, a piece. I'd say this is, is about 
This is about 80%. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It could just be that. And that's one of the benefits of making a makeup, I think, in multiple pieces, is that you can assign them different softnesses because each one is made in a different piece, especially if you color. This is the other thing. I I will color my A, I'll color my B, and I color my Deadna separately, the same color. So that no matter how much Deadna I use, the piece is the same color. Whereas if you're only deadening, you know, coloring your deadener and one piece has got more dead than another, you'll find you're, you're having to compensate by adding yeah. more pigment, which you don't want. Whereas if you just pigment all three, yes, it takes more time, but guess what? You get good at mixing flesh tones because you're doing it three times every time. So, and I, that's why you're here, right? Because you want to get better. So, yeah, and this is all stuff that you should be doing tests beforehand and not doing this on the day when you are under the gun to get something finished and yeah. realize you've miscalculated everything. Well, this is, I'll tell you what, this is one of the reasons why the people that price jobs upright, you know, they charge more because they know they have to do this. And it is not uncommon for people who don't know what they're doing to charge less in order to try and undercut and get the job only to then find out that a, they've now got to carry this job without all the test makeups and all these extra time that they should have fought for. And now they're going to do a crappy job and hate every second of it. And making because no money at all. Save a few, you know, it's, it's like, no, there's yeah. a threshold you don't want to go below. You don't want to race to be the cheapest because you might win. Uh, and that's not a fun place to be. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so with the deadener thing, that's why I think percentages are good. Because if you, if you work out what the percentage is, you can try the piece on and go, this is soft or it's too soft or it's not soft enough. By how much do we think it's not soft enough? Well, I reckon it could be another 10, 15% softer. So, you know quantity wise how much to mix up and then if you're mixing up a piece for one chin or a hundred chins it doesn't matter the percentage is what matters so that's why uh, i think that's worth doing but you won't know for sure and obviously if you make your piece not soft enough like you say it might look fine in a still but when the skin around it is compressing and squishing mm-hmm. and the piece can't keep up with it and the, the cat plastic wrinkles and does weird things um then obviously that's a problem uh, and if it's too soft if you can stick the piece on a, a piece that's too soft isn't normally that much a problem but if it's a big piece it's heavy if it weighs three or four kilos it's it's just like handling snot i mean it's just well there's one other one other ingredient that we need to bring into this mix too that even if you get the percentage of for your deadener to get the softness exactly how it should be if you're encapsulate if your cap plastic is too thick Mm. you're it's gonna look like crap yeah, because, wrinkle up weird. Because it's going to wrinkle up weird and not look real. Mm. Yeah. And that can, be an, uh, that can be a reason to make a piece bigger than it needs to be, particularly necks. You mm. know, I've seen a lot of pieces where someone will have a neck piece on and then they're in a bed. And so that their chin is, you know, tilted at a weird angle and it compresses funny. And so you get these weird lines. Whereas if the piece was, was carried under the jaw and around the back of the neck, even though that's a much bigger piece, it means the majority of the wrinkling is happening not in the front. You don't see it or it's under costume. Um, this is all so stuff that needs to be considered in the design process of how it's going to be used on camera or, yeah. or on stage, however, yeah. however it's going to be used. Yeah. Figure that out beforehand so that when the actor who's wearing it moves the way they're going to be moving, it's mm-hmm. going to look natural and realistic. Yeah. And one last thing, because I, I did reply to her, but I, I haven't done this myself on a large scale. I've done it with small pieces, but you could do that Kevin Yeager trick where you make a foam piece 
Mm. And then you snip away the surface. So there's like three or four mil back from the mold, then put that back in the mold and then flood that with silicon. So you end, and I've done that with like um, sort of big creature heads or something where you might run the head in polyfoam and then cut back a quarter of an inch with a pair of scissors. It takes a while, but you basically reduce the height, you know, the thickness all around, put that polyfoam back on the core, put your mold around it and then inject silicon around that. So you've got like a skin of silicon, but the bulk of it is taken up with foam. Um, and that could be a good thing to do. If you've got a lot to yeah. do, I guess you could mold, make a mold, you know, make a reduced core. So mm. you have a, an insert that you make that takes that yeah. up. That could help. I too. think that's what Kevin did for uh, the muscle suits in Bill and Ted's, uh, the, the largest Bill and Ted movie. Yeah, they look fucking great. Yeah. <laughs> they really foam, do look good. Foam latex and silicone. Yeah, they really do look good. Um, and I think, um, I'm pretty sure Michael Keyes has got a Makeup Artist Magazine podcast. There's a few out. I'll put a link to it. But there is one when he talks to Kevin Yeager, and Kevin Yeager talks about these suits. Um, and it's amazing because I think they were tin silicon, but because none of it was they in would have to with be. the skin. Yeah, because they would have the inhibition. to be. But uh, well, you don't typically use tin on skin, but they're not on skin. They're on the foam suit. So it worked mm -hmm. really well. And so tin, it's very Cured tin on skin is fine. So, But it, it was under under a foam suit, so it wasn't touching down on the skin anyway. I think you made blenders for you know a platinum, but a beautiful bit of work. But yeah, I, I will put uh, our responses on there, but... It's yeah, it's a case of suck it and see where you've got to do it and see how it looks because you know you, you can't you can't guess all the time, but uh, it's one of those things, right? Uh, question number two. Um, this is a general question I've bundled together. So we've had a few of these, which are basically the same question, which is can you look at my folio um, and give me some advice? And one of the things I notice, and I don't know if colleges push this or if it's just untempered ambition but a lot of them seem to have big creatures with horns and teeth and they might have 500 horns on this thing smothered in teeth and that that's great to see i get it it's it uh, you know you watch stuff like stranger things and you get all juiced up about monsters and you want to do big creature stuff and that's lovely i get it totally do if i was there i'd be doing exactly the same thing i can remember asking Dave White for some advice about what makeup to do on something. And he suggested, this was years and years ago when I started working for him on something like 20 years ago. And he was saying, oh, just do an, uh, uh, an age makeup and a fat makeup, but not a lot, just a little bit. I give him 10 years and, and 20 or 30 pounds. And I remember thinking that sounds like such a shit makeup because in my head, I wanted to go big. I wanted to go extreme. You wanted to go fat bastard. Yeah. I want to do something like that. And which I've done in real life with eating food, but, but, you know, the, the, but he was absolutely right. It's like, it's the skill is, is doing it subtly and, and, and not, not, not shouting, you know, with your makeup, it can be, you know, a, a, a carefully crafted whisper. <laughs> it doesn't need My to be guess is that the school has, has something to do with that, that they have some portfolio requirements that they need students to meet for certain parts of the, of the course and to put that in the portfolio. It was certainly true uh, in the animation and visual effects program at one of the colleges where I, I taught the school doesn't exist anymore, right. but you would see everybody's <clears throat> demo reel had the same stuff in right. it. And it said it in one sense, I, I get why they're doing it, but it's also preventing them from expressing their own creativity and their, yes. their own voice yeah well i guess it depends on the on what the brief is i suppose 
But here's here's my issue with it. I mean, it's not like I say, it's not that I have a problem with creatures per se, because I, I love those things. It's awesome. But it's more the point that when you're starting out, I think you need to have learned there's like there's like a bunch of basic skills I think you need to have mastered, really. And I would say they include um, some basic anatomy, but 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 from a functional point of view, it's it's blending edges, like making edges that disappear into the skin, demonstrate mm. that you know how to do that, and matching a skin tone. So you make a piece of rubber that is the same as the skin that it's sitting on, so that once it's blended in, um, and this is why I'm not a big fan of things. I'm not a big fan of. If the makeup requires it, then of course do it. But what I'm saying is, if in the early stages when you're trying to demonstrate your competence i think there are a few benchmark things you need to do in order to establish that you know how to do this so one would be a realistic nose like a nose that once applied if i didn't know you i wouldn't know you were wearing makeup because right. that means you, I've, the, 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 your edges and your appliance and your color have gone completely undetected that to me is a very successful makeup because you've hidden in plain sight. If you do a great pig nose or a bat nose or something, that's fun, but people don't have snouts. So if I see a snout on one, no matter how well it's done, it's clearly makeup, right? And so that illusion isn't, isn't available to you. If you can do a realistic nose and make it look real, I'm pretty sure you can do a witch. Do you know what I mean? Sure. So I can pretty yeah, well, sure you can do a cut. That's the, I biggest, see that. the biggest compliment you can... The biggest compliment you can pay to a visual effects artist is to look at their finished work and have no idea what they did. So I, I, I can't tell that anything's there at all. Yeah. Perfect. I, I, I succeeded. So yes, I agree with you with the, with the nose, you know, showing a mastery of, of anatomy and it doesn't necessarily have to be human anatomy. If you're doing uh, a non-human character makeup, um, you know, muscles and and joints still work the same way mm. uh, whether it whether it's human or, or alien you know the way muscles insert and and how you can rotate your forearm and and bend your fingers doesn't matter whether you're you know uh you know a werewolf or a or a zombie it's movement still has to has to be the same so understanding yeah. how we work beneath the skin is going to inform what we look like on top of the skin yeah and that i mean that that i mean that could be um, if you're doing a bigger suit that's certainly important and i guess if you're doing like you know facial pieces like i've seen like you know jaw appliances on people um you know where the real jaw is moving around underneath and then the piece you apply is sitting on the skin so you get this weird situation when they have like a double jawline where their real jaw is moving under the skin which you can't really beat that but it's it's being aware of that and knowing well maybe i don't do that as an appliance there maybe that's something else or it's you know painting highlighting shadow but but it's i want to be, be clear i'm not down on, on creatures per se what i'm saying is if you don't have realistic noses if you don't have ball caps if you don't have you know sort of nice realistic character pieces as well as you haven't been able to demonstrate that you know those things Whereas right. if you got, you know, if I see a folio that has creatures as well as a couple of realistic makeups as well, that look flaw you see a flawless nose, a great ball cap, beautiful hand laid hair, or whatever you go, wow, you, you can do these things. Well, it, it, the other thing is as well from, from a student who's not going to college where they're not, you know, they're not going to have a bunch of materials necessarily. Those things are really cheap to do like a realistic nose in latex, a small chin piece, a flat molded set of eye bags, 
they can be done for a lot less money um and you get to burn through iterations you could try four or five of those you know for 20 quid's worth of material and screw it up and realize oh shit i don't know how to make edges and i don't know how to match skin tones because I've had, I've had people show me folios of like a half creature suit on stilts with, you know, flares and balloons and they're floating around on wires. And then they're asking me how to match the skin tone and how to get rid of the edges. I'm like, surely you would have, you know, surely they taught you how to land the plane before you took off. Right. It's like, it's one of those things. Surely. So, um, so I don't know. So it, it, it struck me as a, uh, I'm not a pilot, so that might not be a great analogy. But do you know what I mean? It's just you, you, well, you want that to is know the proper, those things. That is the proper order of events. <laughs> so it just seems to me that if you're interested in, in, in showing someone that you know how to do that, I'm championing the value to the people who would hire you, your ability to hide a piece of rubber in plain sight and make it look like real skin. That, as underwhelming as that is on Instagram and how few likes that will get, the people that actually pay money to have people that can do that. That's really, really important. A before and after picture. So you can prove that the nose is, is fake, you know, is, is also, you know, useful because if you make a and great photographed job it, in lighting, that is not, not dramatic lighting. You know, to want yes. to be able to, if there's a flaw in the edge, you want it to be lit well enough so you can see it. Yeah. And that's hard. Or not, <laughs> you know, or not, or fall, not see. Yeah. That, Cause the, the goal is to not see the edges. Uh, so photograph your pieces in in good high key lighting, so that the makeup can be examined. Yeah, that's the point. It's interesting. Yeah, it's like when you get you know um, as well. I think it's quite important to to do realistic, natural looking things because it asks less of you as the maker. You don't feel as obliged to construct an entire story behind this thing because I have seen, for example, and again. This isn't a criticism, it's an observation, but I've seen some colleges that will make the students, I say make the students, part of the thing is they've got to make a costume. They may have to provide a backdrop. They'll supply the photographer and they'll light it nicely for them. But it's like, I've never been asked to make the set or build the costume. Like when I say costume, I mean like, you know, a Victorian dress. It's like that, that you know, on a real show, that would be the, you know, the wardrobe or the costumes job. So it's kind of, it hobbles you to have to spend a lot of time doing that if that's not actually the makeup, but it does mean that you get great pictures that look good. And that would maybe go on to the brochure for next year's college. So they secure more students. So I get the reason to do it. I'm just saying it's a shame when you've seen an extensive makeup that's taken a whole two semesters or whatever to do. And it's still not as good as a nice ball cap, which could have been done in a weekend. Right. It doesn't show off as much. What I'm looking for, I can't see in that makeup because you spent ages making this lovely crinoline dress but I'm not hiring people to make crinoline dresses. That's costume. And maybe you're going to get costume work and that's fine, but this isn't a costume course. So, you know I mean? so it's, it's odd. If you were going to be a chef, then we'd expect you to mine your own steel and craft your own pots and pans before you started cooking. You, you, the chef's job is to take available existing items and then, you know, mix ingredients hey, in them. So I got to build a stove before I can cook this omelet. Exactly. <laughs> and that has a value in itself. And I'm sure there's, you know, people that do that, but I'm just from a practical point of view, um, I think there's something to be said for just doing a nice, simple, clean makeup, demonstrating that you know the fundamentals well. And those simple things, as well as the creatures, would show that. And also, you'll do better creatures in a year from now if you get this shit sorted now. Because if you stick a nose on that you made and it's crap and you hate it and it looks horrible, you've got something to work with. You already know what it is you don't know. And it didn't cost you 15 grand to find that out. So, 
that's my <laughs> call to arms make noses they're really good <laughs> yeah, make a nose <clears throat> and also i think um when you see a lot of homages and stuff like you'll see a lot of people doing like a hellboy makeup you know with paper mache with it. and th those things can be they can be quite good they can i mean we've seen the rick baker um uh nosferatu that he did using paper mache i mean it, it, it as a material it's fine but it's just again if you're trying to get work doing original things i just think you want to try and do something small that's original that's yours if you try and do a hellboy makeup in a week with what's in your kitchen and then put it up against next to the ron perlman makeup it's not going to look as good <laughs> it might do there might be someone that pulls it off but vast majority is not going to work as well so i think it's, a, it's it's like going up to i don't know adele and snatching the microphone off her and trying to finish her song off and it you know it's not it's not it's not necessarily going to work the way you think it does. It might show that you can do some stuff. I'm just, again, it's one of those things. I think you want to do some fundamental stuff that's small, but well first, and then kind of scale it up because I yeah. see a lot of things that, that, that go wrong because people are spreading themselves too thin. They don't have the skills yet to make good molds and you can find that stuff out on something small, but that doesn't provide impressive looking photos for a college. So it's a bit of a, a tricky situation. It's an, it's a, it's an instance where less can be more. And I think so. Students need to need to learn that and and accept that that is true. Well, you know, a makeup doesn't have to be big to be really amazing. No, no, it doesn't. And the thing is, you can see good work anyway. You know, it, it shines through. It's kind of like it, it. It's often the things that you're not trying to do that you spot that you can see in someone that they might even realize that they're doing. You go, wow, that's impressive. But it's just one of those things where I'm just, it's, it's because I've heard these things discussed in workshops by the very people you're trying to get work from. That's why I bring these up because it's not necessarily something that you would know. Um, you know, if you see yet another avatar makeup, it's like, oh, you know, it wasn't makeup in the thing. It was a CG. And although it can be a fun thing to do, there's nothing wrong with it. But it's just, if it's just another avatar face paint, that, that's not necessarily something people are going to want to pay money for. Whereas, like I say, if you can take rubber and make it look like real skin, and I believe it, and you can make one person look five different ways using just noses and chins and paint, that's great. That, that seems to me like a, a noble sort of project. And again, it's not a lot in materials. It, it, well, look at, it means look at what Louis Zakarian did uh, on Mike Myers for the Pentavrit. Yeah, that was pretty extensive. <laughs> You know, that's maybe a slightly exaggerated example of what you're talking about. But well, yeah, but if you, know, you go back to the Brendan Fraser makeups that were in um, Bedeviled, I think, yeah, when you know, with Elizabeth Hurley, Bedazzled, yeah. sorry, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that that had some really, really nice character makeups. Again, some of them were quite extensive, but it was more the choices and the subtle things, and you know, turning this guy who's not freckly into someone that is kind of gingery and freckly and, and, and what does that mean we've got to lighten his eyelashes it takes you to all these little places which are not they're not massive gestures they're not big huge yeah they did things. that with the jamie kennedy experiment which was you know comedian jamie kennedy they did these disguise makeups on him and he would basically you know you know prank situations but they were up close makeups that people he was talking to didn't know it was Jamie Kennedy wearing makeup. Yeah. And that's an interesting one. I mean, uh, we talked a little bit about some CIA makeup yeah. and stuff. There was, a, yeah. there was a book I read 
Um, and it was interesting how much emphasis they placed on performance, which, you know, if you're lucky and you're doing a makeup on a show, the performance is taken care of by a very accomplished performer. So you've got your great actor, job done. Um, and that can be another thing, you know, if you're doing your makeup on someone at college, sometimes it's just whoever says yes, who's going to show up, that's who's going to wear the makeup. And you can see it in their face that, you, you, you know, it, it's Sharon from accounts, but we're supposed to believe this is Mocklark, bringer of the end of times. And it, I just don't <laughs> buy it because it just she doesn't look shipping. like it, you know? Well, exactly. It's just, it's one of the things. Whereas if that, if, if you just age that person 10 years and change their body slightly oh they suit you know they had slightly stooped shoulders and their hair was gray at the sides and then a slightly different nose that would be a believable thing uh, and it would be a very effective makeup on that person because i think it's very important to do a makeup that's in sympathy with the real face i mean you look back at those dick tracy makeups that cagnelli and drex did and they were some lovely cast casting choices you know where the rodent and all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff and lips manless you know that was um paul savino and just you just uh, it was just you know mumbles have you on, seen the um, have you seen the the gender transformation that bill corso did on his wife no i haven't oh it's it's incredible i'll 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 dig it up and maybe we can post that one too okay uh, but it's 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 wonderful see it's, it's those kinds of makeups i think that are just that's what I, I like to talk about those with more people that do those things because there's a lot of creative thinking that goes into what you're going to change people don't just run to the rubber straight away and start piling on the face with stuff you're not you're not trying to cover as much as possible it's making very smart educated well-produced little choices and it might just be the ears need to be pushed forward a tiny bit maybe the bottom jaw comes out a little bit maybe the nose drops a little bit maybe the eyebrows are slightly fainter maybe the hairline's slightly further back that combination of things are the right combinations to give that character the thing it's supposed to be mm -hmm. and it's lovely when you see it done well um, and i think maybe not having a clear brief at the beginning can be a real handicap so i think that might be a good thing to do as well if you're doing a makeup for a college is to have a very tight like a specific brief really drill down to maybe it's a likeness or you know a character or something and you try and dial it in as much as possible i get very excited about those sorts of things yeah no, because I'm, they're just you know it's, it's the craft work in it is absolute pinnacle uh, gary archer made me several oh actually it was gary and his, and his his partner dominic uh who's over there in the uk from bite makers um made me three sets of, of teeth oh cool did you supply them with uh your own I, cast I, yeah teeth? <laughs> I, I i sent them a cast of my teeth and um gary made me a set of braces because you know my bottom teeth are are kind of screwed up you know because my okay. wisdom teeth pushed pushed my Everything bottom forward. teeth forward so gary made me a set of braces that made me a set of corrected teeth so i put them on and it just looked like you know they're, they're, they've been fixed <laughs> and, then and then Dominic made me a set of monster teeth that are really cool. There's the, God, the, those guys do amazing work. Excellent. Oh, wow. Is this for the book? Yeah, it's for the book. Oh, fantastic. Oh, I can't yeah. wait to see those. On. But teeth is, is, is something else that something as little as just, just a thin veneer of changing the teeth so you don't give somebody a speech impediment um, can also change the way they look. You know, you can do, do plumpers, which way they did. Uh, godfather all, all kinds of subtle things that you can do to change the way someone looks and make them into somebody else yeah because the thing about that is as well if they're done well that you know you just snap them into place 
and you don't have to be, you know, starting sticking on makeup at three o'clock yeah. in the morning because yeah. you just pop the dentures in, it puffs out. So, um, yeah, that's a very, very uh, effective technique. And that's probably something, again, that colleges might not be able to do because you need to be able to make those kinds of things. Mm. But but it's good to know that they exist. And also that, that those are the domains of other things like costume, like wigs, like lighting, like performance. Not everything is the responsibility of makeup. And if you, if you apportion the right things to the right department, you know, you can get very, very, that's when you get very effective things. Like you look at the Churchill makeup that Kazu did. I mean, it was a great makeup. But it was also a great performance. The costume was right. The performance was good. You know, right. all of those things working together is what makes the thing work. And, and then it was photographed beautifully. Yes, exactly that. So it's, so it's all, all elements that are working together to create a whole. On, yeah. their own, on their own, they can't carry it. But together, they've built an illusion that is, you know, audiences will look at it and their belief has been suspended. They you know they're in the moment yeah and one thing wrong you know like a visible edge and takes them out of the moment yeah it's it's interesting how how like you say that there's that 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 very thin line to dance between and i think it's it's why when you see like you know an orc or something in middle earth it kind of works because it's got other orcs around it and it's in middle earth but if you put that same orc in walmart kind of looks stupid yeah. You know what in I mean? Suit, in a suit walking down the street with a briefcase. Yeah, it suddenly becomes not right. So it needs all of that supporting cast to make it work, which is, again, why I'm a big fan of doing very realistic looking makeups, because you could have them in a contemporary, you know, realistic world without having to make props and do things. I mean, you can do that. Of course you can. But I'm just saying from a makeup point of view, it doesn't necessarily show off your makeup skills better, especially if that all that stuff is robbing your time and your energy from doing the makeup. Yeah. It's ultimately so, got to be in support of the story, but it needs to look what good. Is, yeah. Whatever, what whatever you're making, whatever the story is, the makeup has to, has to serve it and has to be believable. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't that. have to, doesn't have to look real. It has to look believable. Yes. And the thing is, I know, you know, with regards to things like getting edges and stuff, you'll get better over time, you know, and it, every time you do it, you document what you do and you, you keep the pictures you don't like, you know, the thing, like you said, you know, if there's an edge that's a bit dodgy, you want to capture that stuff. Even if that's not what makes it into the folio, the point is you get to show that to someone else in a year from now and go, why does that happen? And someone can look at that and go, oh, that's because da da da. And you go, oh, I didn't know that. And then the next time you do it, you don't do that thing again. You know, you do it right. Yeah. You, you nudge a little bit closer to it being better. And that's yeah, a you never design. stop making mistakes. You just make different mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. It's very cool. I had a, a, a quite lengthy uh, texting back and forth message with someone. They had some mold problems. They had a beautiful forehead that they made. But as they were opening it up they went they the silicon was dragging on the mold and they were getting like ripped edges every time oh. and uh you know i said you know send me some pictures of the molds and the core and they sent me loads of really nice pictures of the molds and the core and the pieces that come out so i could see exactly where they were getting damaged and because of that it was like oh i see exactly what's done and i've done something similar but this is how i got around it and i sent back pictures of molds i'd made from the normski makeup that i did with neil morrill and i'd flared out the forehead mold and all that kind of stuff it was like and it was really nice because it's like, I don't know exactly what that is because I've done it myself. Here's how I get around that. And it, 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 you know, it, takes, it takes doing it wrong yourself so you have sympathy, so you really understand. So all of those things are, are valuable. They're not, they're not wasted. They're all was it a slight, lessons. Was it a slight undercut? Like in a, it wasn't know. so much that it was an undercut. It was the fact that the forehead was, was kind of like, uh, it's difficult to show without drawings, but basically 
I, I flare out my, my, my extensions so that the, 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 where the forehead section is from like just above the, or below the eyebrows to the top of the head, which is where the piece is going to be. Instead of it sitting flat on the bench, I rotate it 45 degrees so that the, the top of the head and where the eyebrows are, are roughly at the same level. So you're basically just orienting the mold slightly different. Gotcha. I have pictures I've done of a chin core, which I'll pop on the show notes so you can see what I mean. And it's just a simple thing of changing the angle so that when the molds clamp together, you get equal pressure. Whereas if the mold is slightly oriented differently, you get all the pressure of the clamp on the lip, but none under the chin because the mold is trying to slide off. Whereas if it's that way around, the clamp's going on like that. So it's kind of, anyway, this is not great audio because you can't see it, <laughs> but I'll put this picture, like I say, in the, in the show notes, so you can kind of see what I mean. Right. I better wrap up because I've got to go and finish packing. Yeah. What time is your flight charged? What time are you taking off? Uh, early, early. So, well, I, I think it's a nine o'clock flight or nine thirty. So, I've got to be out the door by sort of six, six thirty. So, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's you got some stuff to do. Yeah, a little bit of packing, not too much. It's just a case of what can I not bring because I don't want to. I'm, I'm traveling reasonably light, so we'll see. We'll bring a microphone. I will. I've got my recorder and I've got my iPad, and um, I'm traveling light. Well, you know, Zoom works on iPad, so yep. we'll figure something out. Cool. All right, dude. Safe travels, and I will talk to you soon. Thanks, buddy. Take care. All right. Bye. You can get in touch through our Facebook page or email us at stuartandtodd at gmail.com. Check the show notes for more information. If you enjoyed this episode, tell someone else and help us grow by sharing it on social media. Thanks for listening. And it'd be good for you to spend some time with kids who don't run around with cameras and monster makeup. <laughs>